Top 5 Most Compelling UFO Cases According to 60-year veteran UFO researcher Rich Hoffman You can find my first and second conversations with Rich via links in the description Please let us know your top 5 cases in the comments So Rich, we're going to get into your top 5 most compelling UFO cases Or at least I think that's how we're phrasing it If you have a different phrasing, you please feel free to clarify um, But yeah, we're going to dive into that I can't wait to hear you talking about this So initially, or to start us off, let's dive into the number 5 and let's kind of work our way towards uh, towards your most compelling. And again, feel free to correct my wording. No problem at all. Um, well, I guess my number five would be the uh, the Japanese airline sixteen twenty eight case on November sixteenth, I believe, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. Uh, this was this was a this this was a, a I mean I don't think it was nineteen sixty eight at all. I, I, but anyway, I think. So the situation is there that you have an Alaska Boeing 747 cargo aircraft that's basically flying over uh, the Alaskan airspace mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, it's on its mission. And you have a situation where, you know, you have multiple objects that are being seen by the the crew. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess, you know, they're they're perceiving these objects are around them. And at the same time, you have a situation where you have uh, two radars, a ground and the aircraft, that actually pick up uh, an indication that the objects are there, or the object is there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, you have uh, multiple witnesses. You have a situation where you've got uh, like three objects that are sighted. Uh, it, the FAA basically confirmed uh, the cases and you know even confiscated it later on when it was being discussed in a meeting with the FAA and it was considered classified. But bottom line is that, you know, you have this uh, pilot, I think his name is Terry Uchi, I believe, that uh, is seeing uh, this object. And at one point they see these objects in front of them and then behind them. And then at another point you have an object that's the size of an aircraft carrier that is being seen uh, in front of them. And they're, like freaking out <laughs> you yeah. know and, and and wondering what what is going on and uh you know and so this this goes on they have other aircraft were uh were around that area some did not see uh the objects that were around them but yet these two radars were picking up the uh this these objects that are moving around this cargo plane uh and it you know, it had a situation where it kind of like vanished, uh, you know, into nothing and, and appeared out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And when you have an object the size of like, you know, a huge aircraft carrier, and by the way, the object had like a, it was a solid object in the sense that it was like, like at a dome and it came out with these like elongated or edges around, around it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and that was, that was being seen. In fact, uh, Teriyuchi described and drew what it looked like as, the small little plane was over here, and then there's huge object that's up there, yeah. the size of an aircraft carrier is uh, is above him, and it was just absolutely huge. But they, the the crew, were freaking out, uh, you know, uh, and they were having conversations with the uh, the people on the ground and saying that there's obviously something around us, and they were concerned. But it, it, the nice thing about this case was the fact that again, it had multiple sensor kind of information 
that was involved. It had the the witness that had the visual uh, visual sighting of it, and you had the radars that were picking it up. And then the other interesting thing is, I believe that uh, after they had these radars, it was uh, there was a a meeting in which uh, John Callahan, I think is his name, uh, was a director with the FAA, uh, was in a meeting and they were covering the case and talking about it. And there were apparently some people that were in a room with it uh, that were allegedly like CIA, uh, who then said during the course of that uh, meeting uh, that, okay, and they they said, okay, well, this is, this meeting is now classified. Uh, and they collected the evidence that was being dealt with uh, and they walked off with it and uh, and everybody was told not to talk about it anymore. Well, John also had a copy of the uh, radar and it's mm-hmm. because he had that copy that we're even aware of the fact that there were these radars that were actually tracking the uh, this set of objects that were being seen around this JAL flight. So uh, that's, to me, that's very compelling, that yeah. that case. Uh, uh, and, and so I think that, you know, overall that, you know, that's, that, that's one of those ones that I think, and because that there were multiple sensors, uh, that it was pretty incredible. And the fact that you have ground radar as well as the aircraft radar that's picking it up, uh, that tells you that there was something there. Mm, yeah, definitely. And we got lucky with the, I can't remember his name, but he, he got hold of those, those, the, 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 the document or whatever, the, the, the footage, um, imagine how many cases there are that have fallen away where that stuff was confiscated and nobody was able to keep a copy or, or get hold of a copy or whatever. Uh, a lot. <laughs> I imagine this is the exception um, rather than the rule. But yeah, it's a really interesting case. What do you think is the best hypothesis for this case? Well, to me, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, uh, there are certain cases out there. That, 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 let's go through this. There's a variety of hypotheses of, in terms of the origin. You know, we've all heard about it. Well, it's ET. Okay, it's coming from out there, and they're coming here, right? Uh, there's also the hype, and, and there are certain cases that would lend lead you to believe that well, they are coming from out there. Like, you know, I'll talk about another case later on. Uh, it's one of those where it was from out there and coming in. Okay, so that could be the ET hypothesis case. All right. Then you have the cases where there's like what they call the interdimensional one. And the interdimensional one is basically meaning that it could potentially be that it is moving through like a portal or it's moving through of some sort of like hole in time and space, if you Mm -hmm. would, and it pops in and and it's now there. Or it could be like a a different dimension and we suddenly, for some odd reason, it's now in our three-dimensional world and and it's whatever, maybe like a fourth-dimensional or fifth-dimensional object that we're actually now seeing for some strange reason. So there's like those kind of hypothesis, the hypothesis that... And there are cases that kind of like match that one, if you would. Mm-hmm. And this is like one very much like that, where it, it, you know, it's like, so how does this, you know, aircraft carrier size craft just materialize and then dematerialize? Uh, and, and it's picked up on radar. I know when it's there. Yeah. 
you know, so is that like a, or, or is it like a cloaking kind of capability where you can cloak and you think of the, the good science fiction shows we've got the cloaking and uncloaking of the Romulan vessels in Star Trek or something like that, you know, so is that what we've got going on? And so we're curious about that. But then you have the other hypothesis uh, that might be like that they've always been here on the planet, you know, and you take a look. Well, it's throughout recorded history. Uh, okay, well, that's they maybe were here first or and they're using water as a means of uh, hiding out from us. You know, the, the world is should be called the planet water as opposed to the planet Earth because three quarters of its water. Mm-hmm. And we really don't know much about it. Yeah. And uh, and then the you have also. Uh, the hypothesis that that these are us from a future time coming back in basically what we would consider time machines, if you would, or a, a somehow ability to be able to pop through time and and, and there they are and uh, and then they're gone. So there are cases that I'll talk about that also help to confirm that hypothesis. But we don't. And then it, it could also be that multiple hypotheses are in play. It yeah. could be that you've got, you know, all those different things happening and we just don't know yet. Yeah. So that's why when, you know, they look for, you know, let me ask you this. Would you, would you call a, if it were a time machine and that this is us from the future uh, that are popping back, would you call, would you use the term non-human intelligence like they're doing on the Hill? Yeah. Personally. Uh, <laughs> I know might be human intelligence. Uh, it's just from a different time period. Mm. So I, I don't like the, the idea that we're calling it non-human intelligence. Uh, you know, I, that suggests more to me like ET. Uh, but yet you know, when you look at the descriptions of the, if you take all the, uh, uh, uh descriptions of people seeing beings around the craft or whatever like that, there's a whole variety of things that are out there, like robots and other kinds of things and small different sizes, large sizes and everything else. But at the same time, you have these like beings being described as having long arms, two arms, by the way, uh, a maybe a big head with big eyes, uh, a slit for a mouth and everything, very much like a human. And they're bipedal, that they, they stand up with their heads moved up like this as opposed to and we're and by the way humans on this planet are the only ones that are bipedal uh you know chimps and things like that can can do that kind of thing but they are not walking all the time like we do and so uh you know it would suggest that more that these things are humans if you would that are coming back through a time and could potentially be popping in and popping out and that could explain the jal kind of uh instance but I guess what I'm trying to say is we there are a lot of different hypotheses about where these things come from, and we really don't have the answers yet to know. No, no, absolutely no. I just wanted to get your speculations, and I appreciate I appreciate that. That was a that was a nice answer. Um, let's move on to case four. Uh, your number four, your number four. Uh, so this one was I think the one of your five that I probably know the least about. So this is the one I'm particularly interested in, in hearing you talk about. Sure. Uh, in January 8th, uh, 2008, you have a, 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 a situation where you have uh, witnesses in Stephenville, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, also near Dublin, uh, Texas, are, you know, like there were the, especially these two people that one was a sheriff and the other one was, a, I guess, like a 
uh, resident uh, in the, like I think, farming area or something like that, rural area, that actually witness a, uh, a very bright light that's moving from uh, like the north or something like that, moving down toward their area uh, of their farms and, and, and their areas. And so they see this thing and, and, you know, it, it does various things like, you know, it's the object was seen to by something close to it. Eventually they come up with about 450 witnesses as this thing moved through and over a period of time. And they, uh, they brought people into like a town hall meeting, if you would, and had had, uh, all these witnesses and they documented these things, uh, Robert Powell, who's uh, on our board, uh, actually went, was there and investigated it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the bottom line is that you had a situation where he was able to later get, uh, you know, a number of radar uh, sites to, uh, through a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, was able to get radar data for it. Uh, and, and they actually have returns from uh, not only these objects, uh, the object that was being seen, uh, but also they were able to get, uh, there were two jets that, that came flying in uh, to the area. And these are F-16s that were, I guess, uh, from Carswell Air Force Base or something like that, that, mm -hmm. that were allegedly were moving down right as appearing that they, it was going and following where the object went uh, as it left. And so you have a situation where now you've got uh, also radar confirmation of not only those F-16s, but also of an object. And in fact, they were able to see that the, the uh, apparently that the object was like moving something like a rate of 45 miles an hour. And then it makes a like 120 degree turn or something like that and starts heading north. And it's going at about uh, close to 2000 miles an hour mm -hmm. on radar. Wow. So, and, and so this object was seen by a large number of witnesses. You have the radar confirmation. You've got jets that are apparently pursuing it uh, or trying to pursue it. And, and, and so, you know, again, it's a multi-sensory kind of thing that's going on where you're actually having a very, very strong case, a very compelling case. Uh, and by the way, that I would encourage people to go up again on our uh, website, uh, exploreseu.org, uh, and Robert Powell and uh, uh, one other gentleman uh, put together a, a good, strong paper telling you and documenting what they did and 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 what they saw. And so this was, uh, to me, a very compelling case, again, uh, of, uh, of an encounter where you've got strong evidence that there was legitimately something there that uh, was unusual. And there were other witnesses that came over uh, a period of time that were saying that right around that time period, that they had seen other kinds of strange things going on. Uh, you had a uh, one gentleman, I think maybe like a week before, who saw a triangular-shaped craft very close and was claiming that he actually saw what looked like beings on the inside of the craft. He had some sort of a, a scope that he was like a hunter and, and apparently had seen it and had a scope and he could make up very closely that there was something on the inside of it. Uh, and it was so huge this triangular shaped object which was hovering uh that it 
kind of blocked out the sun, if you would. Uh, and so it was like he was in shade <laughs> by the object. He was yeah. that close. And yeah. so, you know, you again, you have like these stories in this area of uh, high, high, we call that a flap area, by the way, where people, multiple people see things and we see uh, maybe multiple objects, but at the same time, they're, they're seeing something within a given geographical area around a given time. Mm -hmm. Am I right in thinking that the Air Force made some excuses or there was attempt at deception around the jets and stuff being in the air? You're nodding. So yeah, what, what, would they, what did they try and get, get away with this time? Well, yeah. It, so let's put it this way and I'll, I'll do the best I can to describe what might be going on there. But, you know, initially what happens is the press gets it and then they start calling around and they, they get a hold of somebody at the base and the base has probably a lot of people on it or they get a hold of somebody that maybe might not be in the know, mm -hmm. uh, you know? Uh, and so what happens is they, they, well, I'm not aware of anything going on, right? There's, there's nothing that I'm aware of at all. And, and so there's no activity down there and, 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 and people are misidentifying something. And so they would make that statement without checking into it, by the way, or doing the due diligence work that's necessary. And there's also so many people on a base and so many different missions and various other things. No one person knows about everything that's happening on the base, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they came up and said that there was nothing going on, that there weren't any jets, you know, and just blew it off, right? And then possibly after increasing pressure by the press or that's now on TV, somebody will now start to do their homework like they should have done initially or could have done initially. And now they're probably doing a little bit more digging and they find out, well, that there was an exercise that might be going on over there or, or something of that nature. Or it's somebody that's speculating about that. Well, that becomes now the the uh, what they give to the press or something of that nature. They're, yeah, they're not, there was an ex, you know an exercise that might have been going on in the area, and that that's what accounts for it, right? Yeah. So we we see that all the time. Uh, that happened in the Phoenix Lights case and stuff like that, where people were calling Luke Air Force Base where they're now talking to somebody who has not in the know and doesn't know. And and by the way, things that happen on a base, a military base, even like the base that I work at, right? We have exercise or er 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 field areas where we do exercises and tests. Those tests that we're doing are not published for people or residents on the base to know it at all about it at all. And they're classified. Yeah. So the question is, does the whoever the person you call have the classification knowledge of what's going on in that area and can speak to it. And it's more than likely not the case. Right. Yeah. So I don't look at necessarily the faux pas that the, the base, and I want to make some big cover up issue out of it as opposed to being more of a foul up. Yeah. More of a, just a, a foolish assumption rather than actually uh, trying to do the, the due diligence. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and and so again, whoever you talk to uh, on a base might not have the full knowledge uh, about what's going on in the base. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you know, uh, I told you about that that instance where you had the Google loon balloon on a previous episode, where uh, we're talking about the fact that I saw that 
Well, if you call the the, the base personnel and you found, tried to look look into it, the, they might ha- not have any knowledge about the Google Loon experiment that's going over, which was also, by the way, secret, uh, yeah. and wouldn't be able to talk about it. Yeah, got you. No, no. Again, really, really interesting case that one, and I, I, I'm going to be looking into that one in more detail to to learn a bit more about it. Um, so the number three is uh, is is a really interesting case. So uh, please take take it away on on your number three. Yeah, so the Tehran uh, incident is 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 one of those ones where it, that's in Iran, uh, and, it, and it was nineteen September nineteen seventy six, and it's a case where you had uh, a a variety of incredible things. You have uh, radar, you've got a visual on it, you've got very credible military pilots that are seeing it, you have ground control people that are seeing it, uh, you have a case where electromagnetic effects were noted. You had a satellite detection from a spy satellite that we have up in the United States, it's called the DSP-1, that actually tracked an object that prior to this that was coming in from out there, Yeah, that was moving in and it came by it and it picked it up and it was now heading down towards where that uh, encounter took place. Yeah. Wow. And then you have later where even Defense Intelligence Agency publishes a note saying it was probably one of the most compelling cases that they had ever heard. Yeah. So now you have a government entity that's actually validating that case. But anyway, so the way that that, that whole thing took place was that there was this very bright object that was seen up and two F-4 aircraft were sent off to go after uh, after the object. Uh, and so you have, uh, basically the one aircraft goes and starts moving toward where the object is, uh, and it starts to have this, uh, you know, navigation system failures on board the aircraft as it gets closer to it. And then, then you have a situation where, uh, it, you know, it said, well, it had to pull off from that. And, and it comes back again and it goes back and it, it actually tr- attempts to fire missiles at it. Uh, and the the missile site uh, don't work. Uh, the system don't work as it, you get that. And both of the F-4s had that same kind of experience being in proximity to the object. So it, it tells you right there that it was, it was, you know, giving off these very strong jamming kinds of, you know, kinds of uh, uh, electromagnetic effects to the aircraft navigation and mil- you know, missile systems and was keeping it from doing its mission. Uh, and, you know, at one point, then I, I know that the the aircraft, they, they, they keep pulling off from trying to do that and getting away from it. And then their systems come back up online, amazingly. Uh, the object has this bigger object has now two smaller objects that come out from it and they're starting to like rotate around the bigger object. And then one of them shoots off and goes over uh, and actually then starts to descend down toward the ground mm-hmm. and was, was seen to go down toward the ground. Uh, and, and so then you have uh, eventually, I guess it must've returned back up to the craft that goes back inside the craft. Uh, and then you have this object moving off and going over near uh, the control tower, the Mirabad, I think it's Mirabad control tower. Uh, and they experience electromagnetic effects 
as a result of that observation. Uh, and it was again being seen. And uh, allegedly the, the object then goes off into the ocean and, and it basically takes off and, and some other people claim that they saw it along the way. But because of all this different kinds of things, the radar, the visual, the, the fact that this is a military engagement, that the fact that they 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 had the electromagnetic effects and stuff like that. This is what made this such a compelling and very, very strong case to include the fact that you had a satellite now for the first time that's coming yeah. forward and saying it saw something and it tracked it coming in from out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's a really like a that's, fascinating that very aspect. Huge. Yeah. Very huge. And, and so, and again, you know, we look for these cases. I, I tend to look in favor more of the, the again, the military, the one that, that, that have the multiple like things like radar, the electromagnetic effects. And I and I consider those things as being very, very uh, adding to the compellingness, if you would, yeah. uh, of the case. Yeah, definitely. No, that one's a really, really interesting case. And I will recommend that if anybody that's listening or watching wants to learn more about that case, there's probably loads of places you can do so online. But one place is Leslie Kane's book, uh, UFOs, um, gov generals, government officials and pilots in one order go on the record. Um, I think she writes about it in a chapter, but then Parviz Jafari, the pilot in question, also wrote a chapter in his own words. So mm -hmm. really, really interesting read that. So I'd recommend that to people. I'll put the book in the, the description below. But yeah, thank you for, for talking about that case, Rich. Were you going to say something just then? No, I was just saying that, you know, you know, I, I've also read those works and stuff like that. And, and again, they're extremely compelling, you know, uh, you know, you, you just look at this and you put yourself in their position, you know, of being a pilot on an aircraft and you can't, you can't, you know, shoot your systems or your navigation's not working. Yeah. And, you know, and you're going like, you're freaking out, you know, and then eventually <laughs> it returns back. And so th those must, th those, for those pilots that must have been a very harrowing experience uh and you know but in that case it was just so backed up by all this yeah. other kind of like stuff to make it as uh, extremely credible and it validated what they had and we we by the way uh, you know i i tend to look at what we're what i've been doing all this time is to largely validate all those pilots and those other people who have witnessed these things over the course of the history, mm. you know, I, you know, that there is legitimately something there. And to me, it's, I, I, I'm looking to validate their experiences uh, yeah. by the pursuit of my study. And, and I'm glad that we have now like over 260 scientists minded people, if you would, that are coming together and focusing on an SCU that are all willing to admit that there's something to this and we need to look into it. And now we're openly allowed to do that. So to me, it's, it's very, and then also the validation that I received was yeah. in 2017 when they came out and said, yay, verily, you know, these things are real. You know, we have a secret project that was going on, you know, and wow, that's really yeah. good. Yeah. And that's just going to continue, I think. And I hope that even if it's baby steps, as you say, you're not too optimistic that it's going to be anytime very soon, but that's just going to continue, I hope, with with yeah more information coming out. Um, but yeah, that case is incredible. I think I think some skeptics or a skeptic, I don't know if it's even more than one, pointed to uh, meteor showers, that apparently there were two meteor showers taking place at the time. Uh, and so there you go. That, that's explained away. <laughs> what, a, what a joke. Yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> so the, the super experienced pilot other... and all the other aspects of this case as you say 
the electromagnetic. Yeah, I, I'd like radar. to see how they, the, a meteor going by is going to affect radar and uh, navigation systems and yeah. stuff like that. But anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure even me in an airplane, flying an airplane for the first time in my life, would be able to pick out a meteor versus something along these yeah. lines. Never mind Parvi's Jafari. Um, anyway, so case number two. So this is one that, that I, you know, basically got involved in in 2013 and, and actually had a chance to look at, uh, mm. you know, in, in greater detail. In fact, uh, we also have our paper on this that's up in the SCU uh, website. Uh, but, you know, I, I there were like a group of five of us that were uh, basically part of MUFON. Uh, Robert Powell was the director of research. I was the uh, two state director, plus I was the deputy director of investigations for MUFON. Uh, and, you know, we get uh, one of us uh, who lives uh, with state director in uh, Morgan. Morgan Bell was the state director in Florida. We had Larry Cates, who was a mathematician. We had Carl Paulson, a physicist, who was a part. And, and all five of us came together to look at a video that we received in the latter part of 2013. And we spent, you know, maybe like about two years or something like that, analyzing 7,027 frames down to the pixels, the individual cells of of a photo, of the images yeah. of the frames to look at a object that was picked up by a Homeland Security, actually it was Customs and Border Protection, but it's under Homeland Security, uh, in the Agua, near Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. It's actually around the uh, airport called the Rafael Hernandez Airport. Uh, and and bottom line was that the the uh, the home the the Customs and Border Protection mission was to go out look for all kinds of like you know uh drug smuggling kinds of things that's what their focus was and there were a lot of drugs that were flowing into the puerto rico area that they would try to capture they would see that and then they would try to report it and then they would try to collect the evidence and so forth that was pretty much what their their job was but on this one particular day on april 25th uh in 2013 it, it was right around nine o'clock in the evening there was a full moon out the temperatures were roughly in about the 80s in, in, in Puerto Rico at the time. Uh, and then this is in the northwest corner of the island, right along the shoreline, if you would. Uh, and by the way, offshore is the one of the deepest trenches that, that uh, we know of. Uh, and so you have a very deep area of the water that's descending in this, this trench area. Uh, and it's, it's, Puerto Rico's had its share of you know UFO kinds of like uh, objects that it sees and various other kinds of things. But bottom line was that the uh, the the mission was that they were taking off at about nine o'clock in the evening. Uh, they were in a Dash Eight aircraft, uh, which is a turboprop aircraft, and uh, and and they have on board a, a radar system on the very bottom midsection of the fuselage. And then up in the forward section, just underneath the pilots, is a thermal camera that's a Westcam L3 camera that's mounted there. And so uh, they take off from the airport. They're cleared for the takeoff. Uh, and as soon as they start to get up and they're ascending, they get up to about maybe 1,000 to 2,000 feet. Uh, they're looking off to their left 
and they're seeing a light that is coming in from the north toward the airport. And they're they're about to head that direction, by the way. They're about to bank and go left and start to do a circle in a counterclockwise motion. Um, and so, but they're concerned and they get a hold of the control tower and said, so, well, I thought you were said that we were cleared for takeoff and yet we've got this aircraft or some sort of a craft or something that's coming in. And they think it's an aircraft, by the way. Uh, and they, they're they suspecting that it, you know, that it, well, just, we'll just go around and take a look at it or something like that because the control tower said, well, we don't have anything, but we do see a light. Uh, so they now start a rotational pattern around whatever this object is. Uh, and uh, they, as they, do this circle around the airport and they almost come back to the same spot where uh they basically took off at yeah uh in the northeastern portion of the uh the runway um they noticed that the light goes out and they said well you know this could be a drug smuggling mission uh they were curious about why a light would go out it was a pinkish Kind of like light to it um and so they basically turned uh he the pilot contacted there are there are four people on the dash eight there's a pilot the co-pilot and then you have a radar operator and you have a thermal camera operator and he tells the thermal operator to turn on because it's dark outside turn on the thermal camera and to track the object and so now he does another circle a larger sweep around the area. Uh, and they, during that three minutes and 54 seconds that they're doing the flight around it, they see the object on the thermal camera and it looks like it's coming over the actual airport. There was a FedEx plane that was supposed to be taking off and it was held because of the control tower said, we got something up in the air, you can't, you can't fly basically. And it was just held on the runway. Uh, and then the next thing you know is that the object is has circled around uh, near a it's gone by some a little farm area down below the uh, uh, to the south of the runway itself. You see the cows along there and what they look like in thermal, by the way. Uh, and we use that to our advantage, by the way. Uh, and I'll tell you a minute. So it comes back around and it circles and it comes by a supermarket area. It's descended now to the point where it goes behind a telephone pole uh and or a this huge yeah huge pole and we were then able to get its position and relevance and and also the size estimates figured out because of that and it's going down through like over a neighborhood and it's down through trees and it gets down and it goes back almost to the same point where it came in at it, this big circle back to the, the the point and then it makes a turn and it's now going along the shoreline of of Aguadilla, uh, the or the Rafael Hernandez Airport in that area, uh, and it's now going along that, and it goes, it splashes into the water. Uh, we measured the speed was right around, and when it's in the air, roughly about eighty to eighty-five mile an hour, mm -hmm. and then when it hits the water, it's at about a hundred miles an hour. It doesn't break apart. You can actually see what looks like a as you watch the video, a little white area that's indicating that it you know it looks like it went into the water we saw indications of and in the pixel range of a splash that did occur with the water which leads us to believe that it did go into the water 
Uh, and it's this white kind of movement underneath the water as it's moving along. Uh, we see that kind of like in the thermal. And then it comes up out of the water and it's got, it's like black and then it gets blacker and it starts to now split into two objects. That same object splits into two objects and we, we thought at first it might have been a reflection or something of that nature. That's not the case. Uh, it's two separate thermal images that are that are happening. Uh, and then you see this object effort splits into two, now going and one trails. It had slowed down to maybe about 40 miles an hour moving uh, along the water line. Uh, and then the one object goes and drops down into the water, goes out of sight completely. And then the other one hangs up for a little period of time before it then suddenly goes into the water and is now gone. And then you have the, the, the camera operator panning back and forth, trying to see if it could see it, can't see it. You now see also along the runway that the FedEx plane was allowed to take off because apparently that this had all happened and then they, they released them to start to take off. So there was a, you know, an instance where, uh, you also see that happening, but, uh, and then, so you know, the pilots, you know, go on and do their mission. They, they, they had to go and do their mission and they, they had to break away from that. And they were, by the time that they see all the splitting and stuff like that, they were like, like nine miles away from the, uh, the airport heading South towards, you know, wherever their mission was. We, uh, we also looked at getting radar data and we were we eventually got radar data that showed there the that there was this aircraft that was moving along just like it said and we we validated it was a military aircraft because the transponder actually did show a military range uh you know that that's what it was so we confirmed that it was not a fake video and that there really was a dash 8 there we also then got a hold of uh, radar from another uh, area, which showed that prior to the object then coming in towards the airport, uh, it was there were like over 50 hits of radar of an object that was moving at, you know, like from standstill to now 1,200 miles an hour, and it would end up over here. And, and this is within the sweep of the radar, right? Mm -hmm. Each yeah. one of those was just a matter of like, you know, wow. uh, seconds, if you would, that, that would happen where you might have a, you know, a sweep that would have. And so bottom line is that these blips that were showing up were right in the area where the object was. And this was immediately preceding it's showing up, then coming into the water right. uh, or towards the airport, right? So, you know, what, what was this object that was being very clearly picked up uh, just off the shoreline uh, that was doing like stops and then going, you know, and then second, you know, second, a second later, a couple of seconds later, it's now suddenly over and it, and it moved to like 1200 miles an hour. Right. So it's doing this circle dance that it's around it, you know, and stuff like that out in that water area. Uh, but anyway, that was you know definitely an interesting and very compelling case in the sense that you have you actually see this thermal splitting that's taking place and you see a, a separate thermal image and also i'll point out that the camera the westcam camera can measure 
one one hundredth of a degree difference. Wow. Okay. That that's a very powerful camera, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that it can make that kind of in fact, we use the cattle, then we were able to break we were able to break the the, the from it, it it was in black and white, right? The, the the video is is up on our website. You can take a look at it, but it's in black and white. And so you see things that are very dark and you see things are and thermal cameras, you can set it to where hot, the hotter temperature in this range, uh, the warmer, hotter, and stuff like that would be could be black hot, or you can make it white hot. So you can inverse that, you know, and, uh, invert that. So in this case, it was black as hot. So it's hotter when it's black, and you can see the objects that are at night uh, very clearly. You can see the runway. You can see the therm. You can see the 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 air conditioner systems on on top of the house you can see the aircraft engine in the uh and the fedex plane that was there and you can look at that but you can also look at the cows and yeah. we broke we took and we broke the from white to black and all these different shades of grays and we were able to look at the pixels and match them up and we were able to find out that the cow's a cow's temperature is right around 104 degrees <laughs> or 100 degrees you know yeah. so bottom line was we could say that that blackness of that pixel of the cow matched this black color of the the pixel for the object, and we can measure that it got up to about 104 degrees. Well, that's important to know. Uh, we looked at the wind speed, found out that the at about 400 feet or on above, it was like maybe 15 to 18 mile an hour winds from the east. Okay, that were that were moving along. Uh, we were able to look at the the temperature of the object and say, well, wait a minute. So like if this were a balloon, like a party balloon, like a Mylar balloon or something like that, do you have, have you ever heard of the temperature of the inside of that thing becoming 104 degrees? No. Yeah. It doesn't match with that uh, at all. Uh, and then uh, what was that motion under water where it was white? Well, that's, we, call that a, a displacement of the water as the object is moving underneath the water and it creates this like cooler look effect above the water because it's breaking and it matches what you see in terms of waves coming in so mm -hmm. bottom line is <clears throat> it's displacing the water as it's coming in and moving underneath the water so we saw a splash we saw the displacement of the water we saw it come out of the water uh, interesting enough that it didn't affect much of the temperature because it came out black, still hot. Yeah. Uh, and so that was rather interesting. And the fact that it does this splitting into two is extremely odd, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the temperature thing, um, it, it was basically the same when it came out as to when it went in. It was, it was really negligible or yeah. no noticeable uh, difference. Well, I mean, th there for a while it was going through trees and, you know, and stuff like that. And, and so... You know, the, the question for you becomes one of those things where uh, we measured that the the object was roughly somewhere between three to five feet in diameter. Right. right. Okay. That was going to be my next question, as you, yeah. you said about the so size. Yeah. Because okay. of the telephone pole, because we had reference points for various other things and stuff like that. We looked at various things that were on the ground and stuff like that to help us to determine that size. Uh, and we were able to look at the, we considered parallax, the fact that there for a while that the aircraft was going around. Uh, and there's a parallax effect where if I see something and I'm moving around in a circle, you would see the background moving and it would be moving at a high speed. Mm -hmm. uh, we looked at that, uh, but 
bottom line was that that we took that into effect because we were looking at frame by frame by frame by frame by frame. And you can see some movement independent of that in the frames that other people like our famous skeptics and stuff like that don't want to do. They don't yeah. do their homework like that. They don't look to find out that the, the telephone pole situation because of the pixel level. And so they have no bearing on how the distance of it was. And so a lot of them think that it's the end of the line and it's nothing but a balloon that's moving along and it's moving in a straight line. And that's what it was. It was party balloons or or, you know, in a 15 or 18 mile an hour wind, they think it's a Chinese lantern. And so they want to claim that it's Chinese lanterns and all this other stuff. But, you know, we basically debunked all their debunking uh, for the most part. Uh, and I'm satisfied with that as well. Yeah. But yeah, so what do we make of the the splitting into two? Because I remember first time I watched that video. I remember first I, I you know, I'm like, look, oh, what's this a new video? OK, let's have a look. Click on this. I'm watching, okay, a bit boring, you know, something, okay, then, you know, gradually, and then splits into two. And yeah, I'm just like, what was that? What just, what did I just see? What, what, what just happened? It's wild at that. It's really wild. So what do you, what do you make of, yeah, that, what, what is, what is that? What does that tell you? Well, you know, the whole phenomenon is weird. I just, I just got through telling you about the fact that there were these objects that came out of uh, the Tehran incident, you know, the big yeah. object yeah. had these other objects. And there are other cases that have been throughout the UFO history. And this is why I encourage people to read more where you'll see that that kind of strange phenomena does happen where, where they can split apart, you know, multiple objects. You might see one object and then suddenly it splits apart and becomes multiple objects. We, we, we've seen that in other instances. And so we don't know why that happens or what it is uh you know but yet these strange things happen like that yeah uh and i and i don't i don't know i there's i mean i certainly don't understand that technology to do that but but the the fact that it it did it and it was captured on military grade equipment exactly yeah yeah is very compelling you know yeah. i mean it's like well how do you do that yeah. You know, how do you begin to fake something like that? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and so it's it's not I mean, the, the pilots themselves were extremely they tried to go up through the uh, their homeland security channels and said, hey, you know, here's this video we saw. We saw this object uh, and they said, well, we don't do anything with it. So, you know, they said they gave it back and said, we're not doing anything with it. And then bottom line, it was that. They tried to go up through Air Force intelligence channels, and I guess apparently it was rejected there. And they said, "Well, we don't deal with this anymore," <laughs> yeah. you know. And and uh, you know, and so it's like, okay, well, you know, we we attempted to do something, but we'd like to have it studied. So they ended up coming through us and MUFON, mm -hmm. and we weren't we, we had to all sign non disclosure agreements saying that that we would not be willing, that we couldn't talk about the case with MUFON or any other organization, our own organization we were with. Uh, and so, you know, we had, we did our study, came out with our paper. And by the way, we, we called ourselves the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, but only because we were just a team of five people in MUFON, right? So uh, after we released our 167 page paper, uh, 
and showed what we had uncovered. Of course, MUFON wasn't very happy about it. And we were all, uh, Robert and I were called in at a, at a symposium to uh, talk to the board and explain to them why it was that we didn't go through MUFON. And I happily pointed out to them that they had the case in their Puerto Rican file where they could have done something about it, but they never assigned it to any investigator. Yeah. Uh, then you had the situation where we I said that we signed an NDA that said that we weren't allowed to do that. So anyway, they had heartburn with us as a team from then on, you know, and uh, we kind of like in 2017 decided that we were going to drop out of MUFON and it, we didn't see it as being a good scientific organization like it wants to be. So most of the scientists all departed it. And, uh, and Robert, who was the director of research, and me and Morgan, and we decided we're going to form our own organization called SCU. The rest is history. Yeah, no, that's that's an awesome that's an awesome case, and and thank you for yeah sharing the the extra details there at the end. But that case is wild. We you said that this phenomenon is always weird, and it's like the kind of you know the trickster element. There are, there are always things that make you go, oh. What, what am I dealing with? But yeah, this is a great example and it's one that's caught on, on radar, on camera. So that's, um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I'd love to hear that one explained. I'd love to know what's going on there. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. So I guess that brings us to your your number one most compelling case. I guess probably a lot of people are going to know or have a, a guess where you're going to go because there does seem to be one case that kind of stands above all others for its own reasons. Um, so anyway, go for it. Well, I think, you know, uh, in 20, I want to say in 2015 or something like that, we Robert Powell also uh, became aware of an article that was in, a, I guess, a Fighter Suite magazine by uh, Paco, and I'm not going to say this right, Chichiri or something like that, uh, that, that talked about a case in 2004 in which one of the pilots a very credible pilot had witnessed uh basically and chased some sort of an object uh and so we became very interested in it um and we heard it was tied to uh uss nimitz and um so we basically started going out and seeing what we could find out about it and i came across a facebook page that was dedicated to the princeton uh and we started to converse with some people there about uh a possible case that might have happened and that led us to kevin day mm. and kevin uh was aboard the the uh the princeton uh i guess and was in the command control center and stuff like that and helping to direct exercise and stuff like that so he was on duty at the time but Bottom line was that that, you know, Kevin, we had an interview with Kevin, then we went from Kevin, we started meeting and we ended up speaking to about, I think, 17 or 18 different people at this encounter that took place. And each one of them told us the story, which allowed us to then begin to piece it together, uh, the whole like the whole picture of what happened. Uh in it turns out that that, you know, when when they they have these carriers and these ships which uh you know they come back to port and they get upgraded with the equipment uh you know they do they do then uh, all these upgrades on these various uh you know parts of the carrier group and stuff like that well this was released 
uh, from the port now and was going out and they did a variety of exercises. And so they go through a thing called CompuX or something like that exercise period where they go out and they do these exercises. And then there's a, another kind of a training period that happens after that. Uh, and then eventually they're deployed, right? And so that's that kind of like is the way that they do the upgrades to equipment and various other things and, and so on. So on this one particular training exercise, roughly around November 10th, uh, and uh, this happened over several days, by the way. But during that exercise from the 10th to the, roughly the 14th of 2004, you had the case where it wasn't the full complement of the actual carrier group, uh, but it was a good number of, uh, of the ships that were on that were in this exercise. And they have a, uh, an exercise that was taking place where they were going to do like a combat mission. So they have one pilot who is a, happened to be a Marine pilot and he's flying in an F-18 and there's different kinds of like, you know, models of the aircraft and stuff like that. There's a, a single pilot or sing a one person. And then there's a two person type of uh, super Hornet, if you would, that, that you can fly. Uh, but anyway, in this exercise, you had a Marine guy that was positioned down in uh, like one area. And then you have, two other uh, F-18s that are now going to come up and they're going to start this exercise. And what happens is that uh, over preceding days to this, uh, they were noticing on the SPY-1 kind of like, you know, uh, system that they've got, which is uh, capable of, of doing incredible, it's like a radar, it's a phased radar system they're able to detect things, you know, all around them and stuff like that. But they had seen near the Catalina Island, these objects that were like dropping down from space, if you would, and coming down like almost like rain, if you would, shooting down toward the water. And, uh, you know, and they, they noticed that. And then the, I guess that there was also somebody that actually physically saw an object or a light around that, like, you know, using some, those big, you know, binoculars and things like that they have that they've talked about. But anyway, so what happens is that the uh, they've done this exercise, they're getting positioned for it, uh, and they're about ready to do it. When what happens is Kevin Day then sees this object on radar that's out in this one spot, and they break off the exercise and said it's a real world, uh, basically, you know, break. Uh, it's a real world experience. So they're going to now go break off. And so Commander Fravor, for example, is flying one and he's a well-recognized like top gun pilot. Yeah. And he's got what they call a Wizzo behind him, which is a weapon systems officer who's in the seat behind him. And then you have the other aircraft, which has got uh, Alex Dietrich, a female that is a female pilot who is in that with, and right behind her is Lieutenant Commander uh, Slate, who is sitting in the Wizzo spot. Anyway, the point is that the two air, the F-18s are out on this mission and, and they're now directed towards the spot where this radar return happened by day. And, and so they get out there and they happen to, you know, to see that they're at that spot that there was uh, like some effects in the water, like this intense bubbles and things like that that are underneath indicating that there might've been something down below the water that was causing this like bubbling effect. 
the white. And there's that. a lot of explanations for that uh, that could come about explain it like, you know, methane gas being released in that particular part of the ocean or something of that nature. Uh, but anyway, the uh, what happens is Commander uh, Fravor then takes his F-18 and decides he's going to dive from roughly around 20,000 feet or something like that down into where uh, this object is. And as he's descending, he's seeing this object that is a smaller object measuring about maybe 13 feet high and about 40 feet wide that is in the shape of what you, we, they call the tic-tac. And if you've ever seen the tic-tac candy, it's extremely white and it's elongated and it's more like cylindrical, if you would, both the rounded ends. And so they see this thing that he called the tic-tac. And the bottom line is that he goes and tries to, you know, go down at it. Well, the object apparently stops what it's doing and it was doing this herky-jerky kind of motion around like and it decides ball bouncing off a, yeah. yeah it's like a ping pong you know thing bouncing around on a ping pong or not a ping pong but more like a that those uh those pinball games yeah 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 you know it's hitting the pinball kind of thing anyway the bottom line is it's moving around this herky-jerky kind of fashion and then he comes down it recognizes that he's coming down and he's doing they start to do a circle with each other and what happens is they do the circle and they're starting to rise up to a certain, uh, getting up to the, you know, 12,000 to 20,000 foot range. Then what happens is that the, uh, the fravor then breaks off of the circle and cut, tries to cut across it while the object then shoots off from that point at an instantaneous speed and is out of sight. And then you just within seconds later, you know, He's told that the object is now at a, you know, basically a, a secret kind of place. It's called a cap point, or it's a location next to where the, the the ships are and stuff like that. That they agree that this is the starting point for the exercise and a whole bunch of other things. But the bottom, that's the cap point, and it's they it's only been briefed on board where that specific location is, and it's almost like the object knew where he was going to be. All right, so the then you have his position. And you have the cap point position, and you're able to now also do things like measuring, you know, the time and the speed. And I'll get to the speed here in a minute. But then, at a later time, what happens is they they head back, they break off the the exercise, and they are now landing on the Nimitz. And by the way, they they use this thing called Link 16, which is basically a link between all the ships. All of the the whole carrier group can all witness that same kind of thing. They can all see the video. If there was video, they can all see the the, the radar contact. They they're all capable of seeing this whole activity and listening to the conversation. So anyway, he gets board, back aboard the the Nimitz and they land. And then he's, obviously they're asked about well what's going on and they're they've had this strange experience and. And the crew is just making fun of it. They were playing some sort of like a song, like, you know, Star Wars or something like that, you know, that yeah. was going on. Yeah. Uh, and, but the important thing here is that, you know, well, another F-18 takes off and this time it's got the proper equipment on board because none of the, the previous ones on that exercise, they don't have missiles or live missiles. They don't even have, they don't use those in exercises, and it, it didn't have what they call this at-flare camera on board it. But this this other aircraft now takes off and tries to go to a spot, and it actually sees the the tic tac object off 
at about you know, maybe about 40 miles or something like that, starts to close in on it. And then it gets its camera now on it and actually switches between TV mode and actually uh, thermal mode. And it now sees this object and it shoots off and, and it, it, it goes and it gets out of its being locked on. So, the, you know, our systems are have the ability to lock on to something. Well, it, it, it broke the lock on and it shoots off at an incredible rate of speed on the video. So that's the video that we see. So in addition to that, you have the object was now looked at on the radar as dropping from about the 20,000 feet. Well, first off, it was up near 80,000 feet and above. It could have been about in space and stuff like that. But it, yeah. bottom line is it was at 20,000 feet. When it dropped from 20,000 feet, it had stopped above the water. And that was tracked by the people aboard the Princeton. And they saw that. And they had that captured. And it went 20,000 feet in 0.78 of a second. So yeah. well before you can say the number one, it's already gone from 20,000 feet to stop above the water. Now, okay, so we have physicists. We went through, did the mathematics and looked at all these three different things. And we looked at, you know, the, the fact that it that it had dropped from 20,000 feet to this stopping above water. And that was going around Mach 50 or Mach 55 in terms of speed. And if you don't know what Mach is, Mach 1 is breaking the sound barrier and Mach 5 and everything above that is where we're talking about hypersonic missiles. That's that's hypersonic speeds. And this uh, was what, Mach 50, you said, Mach 50, Mach 55. Mach 50, yeah. So, I mean, well above anything that even our, you know, ICBMs and things like that maybe can go Mach 10 or something like that. And anything above that's a little bit classified, but we have nothing at Mach 50. And so, or above. And so you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute, this object did that. Well, if I had an F-18 aircraft in its mass, the size of it and its mass, which is about, you know, let's say complementary to the size of the Tic Tac, and it dropped at that read, first off, the wings would fall off, the plane would disintegrate in air as it was doing anything. It was, you know, so the material strength of whatever this thing was, was pretty huge pretty intense. I, it's very, very strong and very, very capable. Secondly, if, you know, it's going that kind of speed and we think about like, you know, if you think about like meteors that are coming into the atmosphere, they're, you know, they're anywhere from 16,000 kilometers on maybe up, up above that and stuff like that. Um, they're, they're heating up in the atmosphere. You'd see the heating and you'd see all the, the trail of smoke and everything else. There was no trail of smoke. There was no heating up in the atmosphere. The object seemed to be in one piece when it came down. It didn't seem to like indicate any kind of heating up or there was no kinetic energy release from this thing. Uh, there's usually an energy release as it would come down from that. And you would expect that there would have been a kinetic like an electromagnetic kind of thing going on where it would have, you know, probably... Uh, you know, been noticed by the ships, they would have been almost knocked out. You know, it had the, uh, it had the, the kinetic release of, I think it was the equivalence of the, all the output of, uh, of Hoover Dam, <laughs> you know, 
uh, one of the dams we've got in terms of its release. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we started to do the measurements and we got this in a report, by the way, it's also up on our website. It's 277 pages or something like that where we break out wow. the Nimitz case um, and we do the physics on it. And we broke it into the, the what's the speed of the object doing the 20,000 to stopping above the water. We also looked at the fact that the what was the speed of the object when it was at the, at the point where Fravor lost it and it shot off within seconds. It was at the cap point. That was about 40 to 40 to 50 miles different. And so we look at the speed there and we measure it and it's also up at the Mach 50 range. And then we take a look at the video uh, and we watch and saying, here's this object that's out there at the distance and it's now shooting off the screen at this incredible distance. Uh, what what would be the speed there? And again, it's almost about the same kind of speed. So we're talking about an object that is clearly moving at extreme rates of acceleration uh, that is being picked up by various sensors, uh, credible observers. It's on uh, our advanced radar systems. Yeah. The uh, and and I think it's interesting to note that even Ryan Graves in the twenty. 14 and 2015 by that time that they had upgraded the atflare cameras and all these things are starting to de- detect the objects where we didn't detect them before so our technology is advanced to the point where we're now starting to do this even from the 2004 time frame to where we're now able to detect them better but nevertheless our phase radar and stuff like that was able to pick up on it uh you had also uh like an uh, an AWACS kind of like aircraft where it's got the radar dome on the top of it, who is also tracking this uh, object in the 2004 timeframe, uh, who picked it up as well. So, I mean, there are a lot of different sensors all picking up these uh, the same object. Yeah. So it's, again, credible people, uh, you know, top gun kind of like pilots, uh you had uh, Commander Slate when the object came up to about his level. He got a good look at it, and he was able to see a like a mirage-like effect around the Tic Tac. And he noticed something uh, like a projection coming out of the bottom of it that looked like maybe like a we would he would probably say well like an, an antenna of some sort. And you know, well, uh, that was kind of curious. Yeah. But the the mirage-like effect gave us some some indication that it was interacting with uh you know a space around it yeah yeah well <laughs> yeah it's an unbelievable case isn't it this is a really unbelievable case it's so compelling i have you ever come across a a skeptical or normal explanation that even you know for a, not that i'm saying it could be but just anything like what's the best one you've come across the best effort by a by a hardcore skeptic or somebody that's coming you know what have you seen any that you thought ah, at least it's a good effort that one but no i i mean you know that this is one where it, there's so many things that you'd have to try to account mm. for like, i think you know, that's what they do is i think the skeptics yeah. they focus on one point and ignore they, right the, the well stuff. that's yeah. Well, that's what you run into. So they'll they'll focus on one aspect. Like you might have like Mick West likes to look look at things from a, his video kind of perspective because he's a video person, right? Mm-hmm. And he'll just use that evidence to be able to do something. And, and yet he's missing the fact that there were other sensors or other things that were going on. 
And so he focuses on that and he puts out it's debunked and this is what it is, you know, da, da, da. And therefore we just blow it away. He didn't do the homework in terms of the thermal range. He didn't do any you know, look, looking at pixels to identify the, the fact that it went behind a pole. Doesn't do any, all that deep dive stuff, but then he'll debunk case, right? So uh, that's why we we largely dismiss anything out of Mick West's, you know, perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, and he doesn't do the science at all. Uh, I mean, he claims that he does, but he doesn't. Mm. Uh, but so here, here's an you know an excellent case where you got multiple sensors. You have the 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 radar. You got the the military credibility of the witnesses and everything else. You you've got you know uh, what you have almost like what eight eyeballs on it. You know <laughs> that are yeah. seeing it in the aircraft and then the other witnesses that actually saw it uh, doing uh, over a period of time these drops from above. Uh, even days before. And then there were some people that actually had the big binoculars that saw strange lights. Yeah. And then you sure, had the strange sure reaction where stuff as well, uh, the data was collected, by the way. You know, uh, some yeah. military type people came aboard and collected hard drives and various other things that, that took place. And while maybe, you know, Commander Fraser Fravor didn't know about it, uh, other people that in different parts of the ship or something like that knew about it. And, and, so Gary Voorhees, I work with on the UAPX, was aboard, and he knows that it was collected and and stuff like that. So uh, it's it's a very compelling case. Uh, it's you know it's on record. Uh, you you can see this all over the the internet and everything else. And so your your audience should pretty much know about how compelling it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And anyone that doesn't, you you can find interviews with David Fravo, with Alex Dietrich, with lots of people that are involved. I've spoken with Sean Cahill on this channel a couple of times. Um, so yeah, brilliant, brilliant top five. So they, your top five was the Japan Airlines, the Stephenville, the the Tehran uh, with Jeff, Jeff, Pavis Jafari, the Aguadilla case, and then the Nimitz. Um, so yeah, what what do you think these cases as a group can tell us about this phenomenon? Like, is there anything that, you know, Again, I know that's kind of a hard question because, you, you know, we can speculate a lot and you know, yeah. we can't draw any definitive conclusion and everything like that. But what do you think when you look at these five together? Does it, What pops out at you? Well, first off, I would say what's compelling about or the, the similarity between them are that yeah. they're seen with eyeballs. They're seen with technology tools like radar. They're seen with cameras in many instances, you know, with a uh, thermal but beyond the the visible range so we get an idea of how hot it is or something like that but you know and the fact that they're you know using equipment that is you know many of these pieces of equipment are like millions of dollars you know in terms yeah. of cost to be able to have them yeah so millions of dollars worth of cameras and and multiple radar stations and even in one like a satellite detection and stuff like that make them all very very compelling and then you stand back and look at it from the standpoint that you know like well what's the reaction of the government uh, or a government toward these things and it gives you some information so like if you take a look at you know uh, you look at the the jal craft right? There you see a reaction on the part of the CIA uh, telling the FAA that this thing is classified and hauling off all the evidence, right? Yeah. Where'd the evidence go? You know, wh where's that at? 
then you have uh, the Tehran case. Well, the DIA received some information. I think that, quite frankly, there was a lot more information, but it hasn't been released on that from them. And so you find out that, that they also came out with a public statement saying it was probably the most compelling case on record. Uh, that was interesting to look at. The the reactions that you saw with the Aguadilla case where they tried to pass it up to Homeland Security and that's eh, nothing, you know, we don't do with that. Uh, you go to the Air Force. Uh, we don't we, we don't do that anymore. And, you know, and now you look at what's going on and you're saying, well, wait a minute. The Air Force, I mean, the government's now come out and said that these things are real and you have an official project that's looking into it and send us all of your data. And oh, by the way, you will report it within a certain given time period now, and you'll give us all that wonderful rich data that you've got, you know, in terms of the, the witness testimony, you'll get the radar information, you'll get any other kind of sensors that are out there that'll be made available. Yeah. And then if all things pan out, you might also now get the NASA, you know, cooperating and some other other agencies who might be picking it up on their sensors or their, their equipment that's now calibrated, and it might give us more information. So I think that it's encouraging the sense that that all these cases, number one, are multi-sensory. Uh, you know, you've you've got something there that gives you much greater detail to the fact that there was something really odd that was going on at the time mm. that it's hard to discount. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In regards to the Nimitz, we were talking before we started the interview about Arrow a little bit, Arrow. Um I had somebody mentioned before, I can't remember who it was, uh, basically, Arrow, when they're telling us, uh, you know, oh, there's lots of cases that are explainable and there's lots of, you know, we have to work through these muddy waters and pick out the balloons. Just explain the Nimitz case. Just just try and figure out the Nimitz case for us. Just spend six months on that and tell us what you've got. And if you've got nowhere, maybe we can start to establish that, yeah, we need to focus on the stranger cases, not the ones that can be easily explained. Because, um, yeah, that one is is a real kind of leading leading case in that sense. And it's just what. Do yeah. You do and, and I, you know, to me, it's like I, I was encouraged by the fact that the report that we did on the Nimitz case was taken by Chris Mellon, passed up to people on the Hill. It got around to a, a lot of different uh, congressional people that our, our case that we'd studied and our the results of our case was being used to help forward the conversation. Yeah. So uh, I'm pleased that we're being utilized in that capacity. Yeah, uh, and I'm, you know, that's one of the reasons why we try to be as transparent as possible mm. uh, and making those things because they can be used to be able to help, yeah. you know, encourage scientific study, which is what we're all trying to do. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to ask you to, to, to tell us about any more cases, but what I will ask is just what were some cases that were close to making this list? You know, the honorable mentions. Are there some that you were like, oh, yeah, that one? Oh. Just list a couple off if there were any that, yeah, were, were the almost. Well, you, you got to understand, I've been at this for six oh, years. I know, you, you years. pick up through thousands. So of <laughs> I could bend your ear over a lot of different cases, even in the past that were absolutely incredible, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, everything from the uh, the Big Sur case where you had uh, a, a gentleman who basically said that he was watching a missile being launched, you know, and and the fact that it, as it deployed, you have an, an object that comes in and shoots these laser beams uh, yeah. down toward Bob it. Bob Jacobs all... wasn't there, I think. 
uh, all this was being captured on film. And then, oh, by the way, that they came in and collected the film and said it was classified. And and, and all th those kind of cases are out there. Uh, you know, you also have, you know, I, I even look at, you know, the Westall in 1966 in yeah. Australia and also the Ariel School in Zimbabwe yeah. uh, as being absolutely incredible cases. And, and, and even in, in Welsh uh, in, in Wales in 1977, mm -hmm. again, a school yeah. that that had students that are seeing things. And these are young minds. You know, they're not influenced by all the, 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 the stuff on TV and all this other stuff. And yet you talk to these kids, they do drawings and they're all the same kind of an object. They're describing the same kind of thing. Even in the Wales case, you know, all the kids drew a, a disc-shaped object with some sort of red light on top of it. And they all put the red light on top of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, okay, well, that's that's pretty incredible. Then you have the uh, aerial school children who, you know, are seeing this. And they're all describing that they're not hearing words, but they're actually hearing it in their minds, you know. And they're having a conversation with them, with this creature with, like, long black hair, but big eyes and, and black and wearing some dark. And so, you you know, they, they are seeing that and they're being all told and given this like message about the fact that, you know, you're harming the planet and you need to do something to save the planet, which by the way, is a continual theme with yeah. even a lot of abduction cases that are out there. They're, they're all, we're, we're messing up the planet, which, okay, well, there you go. Uh, you know, so bottom line is that that same kind of message is conveyed over our, the period of history of UFOs, even by the early contactees, you know, if you were to want to get into the contactee phenomena. So there are strange elements and aspects to this whole thing we call UFOs and all of those strange things around it, which often have a lot of consistency threads throughout it. Yeah, that to me is very, very interesting. And it should be studied. And we should be having you know, a, you know, a lot more social scientists and all these other things really engaging and come out and, and, and looking into this whole thing. John Mack was one of those guys that we were hopeful that he was actually getting that and helped spearhead the aerial case and made it well known. Yeah. Uh, in Westall in Australia, that one was a situation where all these school kids uh, were and the teachers were all shut down by the military who came in and told them to clamp up and shut up. Yeah. And that's a continual theme. Right. Yeah. 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 I thought about that earlier when you were saying uh, about, you know, like the, the government's telling people to keep quiet. I thought about that, that yeah. teacher, the geography teacher who said they basically said that they'll go out and tell everybody I'm an alcoholic and I drink on the job. If I, if yeah. I tell anybody what threats again, yeah. you know, yeah. and yeah. we've seen that repeatedly through a lot of encounters. Threats are made to witnesses to uh, to shut up. They can't if they talk, they'll be injured or there'll be a. You know, there's something will happen to them, you know, yeah. but we have a great place on the desert we can take you out to mm. and never, you know, you'll never be seen again. So all this threat kind of like stuff is rather curious, you know, and, and yet it's a routine theme throughout the history of UFO phenomena. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's such a big mystery. By the way, I just was going to mention uh, when you were you were talking about the Wales case there, the Broadhaven. My yeah. my family, some of my family live around there, and apparently oh, they, they recently yeah. like put up a sign. Not my family putting up a sign. Somebody put up a sign uh, with like a UFO on it, and I think some beams coming down from it. I'm not sure what was underneath that—a child or a cow or whatever. I don't know something. But yeah, they put up this sign, and uh, it was grabbing some some people's attention. I think it was in a recent Netflix. Uh, thing encounter 
filters or something like that. I haven't, I, I canceled my Netflix a few months ago, but yeah. Uh, so that case is kind of getting more well-known again. And, and I, I'm told that the word on the street is around there that it's a bit of a hot spot. I don't, I haven't had any direct uh, people telling me oh, I saw this or I saw that, but that's what they say. So I'm guessing uh, they talk about it a little bit over there and yeah, the, the signposts seem to grab some attention. Anyway, this has been a lot of fun, Rich. I, I've loved going into your top five. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you again in the future. I thank you for your time. And uh, is, is there any last words? Is there any message you want to pass to anybody that's watched and listened? No, uh, other than, you know, keep studying. Uh, don't, you know, you certainly visit our website because we're, we're putting up a mm. lot of things on our website. And I just encourage people to keep uh, keep on it. Keep an open mind, but also uh, critical thinking is very important and you should use that. Don't yeah. accept everything that you hear at point blank as being what it is. Uh, check it out and yeah. do the dig and verify that there's actually evidence to support a lot of these crazy claims. And there's more crazy claims going on all the time. Mm. The technology tools we talked about are getting to the point where it's getting a bit harder to be yeah. able to detect what's real and not real. And so do your homework, uh, but actually do do a deep dive into more uh, credible kinds of books and literature and various other things and study it. Yeah. Uh, I started at age 13 and I'm still at it and I'm now 72. So uh, I'm going to keep up at it. You've got to be one of the leading authorities in the world on this phenomenon, I think, Rich, at this point. Uh, <laughs> it's impressive. It really is. And and it's good advice. Do, do your own research, basically. Yeah, you don't, don't rely on what others tell you. And that applies to every area of everything, I think, at this point uh, in this day and age. Um, yeah, always, always do your own research. So, yeah, thank you again. And I, and I look forward to talking to you again, Rich. Wishing you all my best. Always enjoyed being on with you, Ben. You take care and have a good day. Thank you to Rich Hoffman for talking with me. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our patrons for supporting us. Please let us know your top five UFO cases in the comments. And please subscribe if you want to continue unraveling the universe with us. Thank you.